Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. I had no idea that the conflict that had brought about the events of both the prequel play, Glen Woe, and the tragedy of Macbeth itself had been such a tangled web. Ah, oh, indeed. The simple narratives that we, as audiences, are conditioned to accept and believe as true have little bearing on how things work in the real world. As well, you know. Ah, yes, indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I do have a question, Master Alchemist. As a soldier, to me, I would have said that the victory in, uh, where was it now, Scythe, achieved by uh, Ross over the combined forces of the Norse and the uh, rebels, was by far the greater victory when compared to that of Macdes, who merely killed the renegade Macdonwald in a duel. Why wasn't the title of the uh, Sane of Cordor given to Ross instead of Macdes? Ach, now, that's a very astute observation there, Heinrich. And a number of people at the time were curious about this too. Well, the answer's twofold, though. For one, there's a tendency in Albion to value heroic acts of bloodshed over strategic acumen, but it's uh, not just that. There are a number of rumours flying about back then uh, about the... Uh, the relationship between the king and that of Ross, as you said. Now, first of all, it's worth stating that the thing that earned the loyalty of each Thane and uh, cemented the alliance in East Albion were the castles. The clans that ruled in these there at the time were all branches of the great Finian tribe from the north, where, as I briefly mentioned earlier, lies the huge mysterious castle known as the Citadel of Lead. And it was this that had inspired Duncan's father in the construction of the castle of East Albion. In order to earn the loyalty and secure the cooperation of each of the thanes and clan lairds, he promised each a castle. Thus, after that, he and his son Dunco went around the peninsula overseeing the construction of each of these throughout their reigns. And it was during the construction of the castle of Ross that Dunco first met the future thane. And they both unaccountably took an immediate dislike to each other, particularly Dunco. Soon after this, both of them were at the courtship of the heiress of Bola Hat, a woman called Andraste. It was an important alliance to cement and would give much security to the East, for the heiress was a uh, powerful warrior and an inheritor of much influence. But alas, she was a uh, she was no fair maiden. Almost Inevitably, it was Donko amongst the other suitors that secured her hand in wedlock, and uh, at this, Ross was indignant. For, as it happens, he alone amongst the suitors had genuinely loved her. Donko's marriage was not a happy one, and although it bore fruit in his uh, two children, Donko oft wavered in his fidelity to his queen, with, uh, with pretty much every wench and serving girl he could get his hands on, as it happens. But uh, 
love, real love, did eventually find him. One of the last castles in East Albion ever made was that of a clan McEwman that sat off the coast on McEwman Island. It was here that uh, Donko fell in love with Morag, the wife of the clan's laird, Douglas, and uh, thus began a long affair between the two. Somehow, the Thane of Ross found out, and seeing a way to ruin Donko's marriage and get the woman he had long loved, he went to the Queen and told her everything, showing her a love letter that he had uh, intercepted as proof. She was a strong woman, though, and uh, not grateful for such news. She spurned Ross's advances, up and left, returned to Bolahat. Furious, Ross then went on to tell the leader of Clan McEwen of his wife's unfaithfulness. This led to an almighty fight between husband and wife, and the two were found dead the next day, her blade in his belly and his sword piercing her heart, leaving control of the clan in the hands of their young daughter, Julia. Although, uh, Rumours abound that she was really his Dunko's daughter. Eh, more on that than her later, though. Anyhow, Ross never forgave himself, and Julie became one of Dunko's most ardent supporters, guilt urging him ever onwards to make recompense. As far as I know, the king never uncovered Ross's betrayal, and never questioned his uh, sudden change in behaviour, remaining ignorant of it up until the end of their lives. And uh, so, with that, I think it's time to uh, talk about the end of the life of King Donko and the events that unfolded at Glengivet. Ah, yes, the events portrayed in the prequel to the tragedy of Macbeth, the less successful play, Glen Woe. Oh, yeah, why was that then? Well, the first play had four distinct parts and a lot more story going on. For the prequel, they tried to stretch out the murder of King Dunko for three acts, but everyone knew the outcome, and it seemed um, ponderous. Additionally, too much time and money was spent on the costumes and set dressing, whereas the script felt half-finished. So, uh, although the climax of the play was uh, exciting, the road there was far too drawn out and dull. Anyway, Cedric... How did it play out in real life? Ah, oh, well, after being told that he'd been gifted the title of the Thane of Cordor, Macbeth returned to his own castle, Runsinane, and told his wife all that had transpired. Lady Macbeth is pivotal in this tale. She was the third leg of the stool upon which Macbeth would be turned about face, changing him from a loyal subject to a bloodthirsty usurper, and she, like the Norse shamans, of Hagtree Cups, and the three witches on the heath, was a puppet of the dark god of change. She was steeped in magic, and had some mastery of the winds of Olgu, as well as uh, dabbling heavily in dark magic. In her studies, she had caught the eye of the dark god of change, and uh, he'd gifted her a hound, suckled on the stuff of chaos itself. It was a, just a two-headed beast, with a scorpion's tail that could breathe fire whom she called Spot, and would only answer to his mistress. Anyhow, upon hearing the news of her husband, visions of unchecked power flooded her mind, and she was soon urging with death to do away with the king and usurp the throne. And under her influence, 
the Thane soon found himself plotting the untimely death of Dunco himself. Dearest love, Dunko comes here. And when goes hence? The day after, as he purposes. Oh, never. Oh, never shall son that mother see. You face my thane, says a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. We wait in welcome, worried looks upon our faces, quivering like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for by murderer's blade and orc's axe. <laughs> now the thing was this. Since the victories of Castle Cawdor and down in Thaif, the uh, treacherous Thane of Cawdor had been executed and his title gifted to the... Uh, Valiant Macdeath. To celebrate, the king and his entourage had decided to journey to visit Macdeath in his castle, Runcinain, and it was en route in the inaccessible valley of Glengivet that the Macdeaths laid a trap for Donko. Oh, yeah. I do love a good ambush story. What was the terrain like, and uh, what forces were involved? Ach, you're in luck. That was exactly what I was about to get onto. Now, the actual entourage of the king was minimal. Accompanying Dunko himself was the court wizard, Mirgray, and three of his nobles, the Thane of Ross, his champion Angus, and Macdus, the king's bodyguard, and one of his most trusted confidants. These were being escorted by a group of ten elite warriors, known as the Teeth of the Growling Shields, on horseback, Armed with swords and, uh, obviously, shields. Macdeath and his wife had recruited a very motley crew in order to uh, do the deed. If you recall, earlier I mentioned that Macdeath and his lieutenant and best friend, Banquo, had earned themselves a bit of a reputation the previous year by defeating and capturing a tribe of shipwrecked orcs. It had been assumed by everyone that they'd all been uh, executed but this had not been the case. Lady Macdeath had bent her considerable will and magical powers to uh, break the leader of the Greenskins, Mogro Neckbreak, and enslave him to her will. With him under her thumb, the other orcs and goblins simply followed his lead. And so it was with these that Macdeath decided to ensnare the king. Now, Glengivet itself is a, it's but a tiny hamlet up in the mountains near the castle of Runcenain. Here, three roads converge, one leading to the village of Balak in the south, the other leading west to the small settlement of Iskragau, and the last leading east to the castle itself. There was not much there, a couple of sod huts, a mill on Givet Brook, a fallow field, and a couple of tall booths on the road which were everywhere during Dunko's reign, and one of the ways he raised revenue to pay for all the castles he was building. In fact, it was his father that had introduced the concept of money to East Albion, as it happens, 
but its uh, evil ways were abandoned after the tyrannical reign of Macdeath. Anyhow, the reason this place was chosen for the trap was this. It also contained an inn. Lady Macdeath had used her magics to manipulate the mists of Albion to slow the progress of Tonko and his entourage, meaning that by the time they reached Glengivet, it was nightfall. The cliffs and mountains that surround the valley were well known as being infested with outlaws and monsters, so the king would uh, no doubt stay the night at the inn before continuing his journey at dawn. The Macdeaths brought around 40 or 50 orcs with them and split them up into three mobs, one for each of the ways into the valley. There would be no escape for the king and his allies. Macdeath himself, in disguise as a bandit, took control of one, as did Banquo and Lady Macdeath, likewise hiding their identities. Macdeath also hired three renowned murderers to do the deed and kill the king, assigning one to each of the mob of greenskins. The king billeted in the inn with Macduss and a couple of warriors standing guard. Ross and Angus took up residence in the two nearby sod huts with a couple of shield guards and the wizard, Murgray, resting up in the mill with the rest. The horses were left to graze in the field to the west of the inn, but the king's horse was left in the inn's paddock. So, with that, the scene is set. Do you have any further questions there, Heinrich? Oh, no, no. Please, please, continue. And Master Tavernkeeper, any questions from your good self? Ah, no. Please, continue. Ah, excellent. Then let's get to the murder. Macdeath, Lady Macdeath, and Banquo first each unleashed the murderer from their mob in order to try and come up upon the king as he slept. Now as it happens, my cousin, the bard Tiernan, composed a poem called Old Glen Woe that describes the king's last night far better than I ever could. So uh, I'd like to uh, finish the death of King Dunco with that. Old Glen Woe Hark now and hear of the foul resolution of King Dunco's curse. Under the blades of the three foul killers, paid with coin from Macdeath's own purse. Each was skilled in killing, and in the dead of that fell night, they moved as silent as a spectre, hidden in shadow and cloud in moonlight. Slowly they crept through the glen, towards its sleepy docile inn, their blades naked and ready to pierce the prone king's skin. One stalks along the road from Iskrigal, snaking silently as a stoat, to come upon the hut of Angus, slip in and cut his throat. The second came from Runcinane, over Givet Brook in silent heart, and into the hut of the Thane of Ross, to plunge a dagger into his heart. The third, most vicious, came from Balach, straight in through the inn's back door, and wasted not a moment in spilling blue blood across the floor. The murderous ruckus alerted Macduss and the king's shield guard, and they struck down Dunco's killer with stab-cut thrusts most swift and hard. But at this, the green skins of Macdeath moved towards the surviving entourage. Their guttural growls pierced the night and their sinewy forms loomed large. Macduss roared in anger, spying the enemy atop the south ridge, and charged towards the orcs from Balak, catching them as they crossed the old Givet Bridge. He and a pair of shield guard 
tore into their brutish ranks, cutting deep into their number before each fell and in death sank. But their sacrifice gave their comrades enough time to prepare to fight, and out of the mill they poured, still unaware of their plight. For from the east and west came more greenskins, crude blades eager for blood, one mob slaughtering the shield god's horses, the field awash in hot red mud. The warriors then found themselves surrounded, death upon them from all sides. But one by one they fought and fell, for the king, they cried, then died. Until there only remained that canny, magician, mere grey Kalkaner, who held fire at the greenskins as he made for the deep fast river. But he was not the only weird wielder. Lady Macdeath to unleashed hell's fire, and Mirgrey jumped into the waters to be washed away, life dire. He was not caught and killed that night, and made good his own escape, hidden by a mystic miss he custom wrought, and to Donald Bane did all he relate. And thus, by this night's misdeeds, did Macdeath come unto the throne. No happy occasion for anyone. Rather one forged in blood and bone.